Welcome to Cards Chat, the friendliest poker podcast in town from the world's number one poker community. Hey everyone, I'm your host, Robbie Straczynski. Thanks so much for joining us on episode number 75 of Cards Chat, the friendliest poker podcast in town. Poker's full of a lot of great success stories, but today's guest is one of the most unique and best of them. He's one of the most brilliant, witty, and beloved members of the poker community who you may have originally seen on Daniel Negreanu's vlog or perhaps on Veronica Brill's YouTube show. Most recently, you may have seen him introducing Veronica Brill before she received the 2021 Global Poker Award for Charitable Initiative of the Year. This man's story of poker success comes not just from his winnings at the tables or with his creation of a great poker training tool, but also from his ability to inspire and bring positivity to the poker world like few people can. Kale Clayton, welcome, sir, to the Cards Chat Podcast. Wow, Ronnie, I'm going to have to uh, well, thank you, first of all, and uh, I'm going to need to know your uh, daily rate so I can just have you, follow, <laughs> have you follow me around and just say that, you know, whenever I enter a room, just, you know, anytime, ladies and gentlemen, that was uh, the, one of the kindest and, and warmest spokens I've ever gotten. So thank uh, you very a, much. A very well-deserved welcome. How are you doing today, Clayton? I'm really good. I'm really good. Um, you know, we're, uh, we're surviving the apocalypse. Ah, uh, yes, indeed. That's all that matters. No, uh, having, a, having a great time, um, you know, trying to be out here cool. building and improving uh, on this game that we all love. And That's it. Hopefully, hopefully people are, are finding it valuable. Cool. So just, you know, so I'm always curious when people use abbreviations, you know, KL, I think it's, because you, know, you said your dad's Ken, so you're Kenneth, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I'm Kenneth Floyd. Uh-huh. Um, so I'm named after him. We have the same name, uh, but I'm not like this. I'm not junior or Will okay. Ten. Uh, technically, I'm Kenneth Floyd the second. Uh, but mom was like, I don't want all that Little Ten or Kenny or anything like that. We'll just call him KL. So uh, they, they might as well just put it on my birth certificate. Honestly, um, that would have been it would have been way easier. So, so, like, as long as you remember, you've always been Kale for since you're a little kid. Oh yeah, even since I was a baby. Like, all my baby pictures, like on the back, is just written, you know, Kale, age two months. Or, oh wow, wow, so, cool. yeah. Okay. They, they were they were telling me that from from day one. Ah, very cool. Well, you know what? That, that, that's actually a good place to start. Let's start with, you know, with day one, because, you know, as I mentioned <laughs> in the introduction, a lot of folks there familiar with you recently, with you in poker, what you've done, you know, what you've been up to, not necessarily the personal story. And, and I'll be very frank, I don't really know the personal story either. So I do know just sort of like the facts, but I'd like to sort of get your take on it <clears throat> and, and just yeah. kind of, you know, share with us what it was like. You know, you were diagnosed when you were six months old with uh, something called spinal, musc- spinal muscular atrophy, uh, which you know, we looked it up. It's a condition that causes paralysis without loss of sensation below the neck. And obviously it's a very serious condition. It's something that a lot of kids don't survive past the early years. 
you know, mm-hmm. and you were supposed to be one of them, but you know, you had this quote. I love this quote. Screw you, doctors, and and you beat the odds. Thank God you're you know you're still with us and you're thriving in your early thirties. Tell us a little bit about this condition so we can understand what it is and you know what it was sort of like you know growing up and you know how you, how you reached this point. Yeah, absolutely. So um, I'm going to look at it. Uh, it kind of is what it is. You described it perfectly. Um, whenever I explain it to people. I essentially say the same thing. It's like I'm paralyzed from the neck down, but I feel everything. So that means if I have an itch, I have to have somebody scratch it for me. If I need a, a drink, I have to have somebody give me a drink. If I want to go all in, I have to have somebody move my chips into the middle of the table for me. Um, and so, uh, yeah, that's kind of what it is. Um, essentially, it's a it's a neurological disorder, and it stems from a, a, a genetic mutation where uh, I don't produce a certain um, uh, a certain section of my gene is is kind of like a asshole, and basically the messages from my brain don't reach my muscles, and so because of that, they atrophy, um, which is why like when you see me in person. I'm super thin and, you know, I don't have a lot of bulk to me. That's mostly because there's no muscle tone there, which obviously for anybody who's ever tried to lose or gain weight, muscle weighs more than than fat. And that's kind of where, you know, you get a lot of your your tonality from. Um, But from a, you know, a a life standpoint, um, you know, growing up was obviously different than other kids but you know my parents really they fully understood what I was and wasn't capable of and what I what I mean by that is like there's absolutely nothing uh that limits my uh intellectual faculties so for example they, they really pushed hard and they had to fight to have me in say regular classes mm-hmm. um with an assistant uh, the school district wasn't particularly excited about doing that which i had no idea why um but you know they were the ones that when i was you know doing the kindergarten uh they fought really really hard no tail is going to be in what you know regular education classes um, and because of that, all of my pupils, all of my, my friends, everyone that I grew up with was fully able-bodied. We live in a really small town, only about 12,000 people or so. So, my Where, is class, this? Where was this town? Uh, yeah, so I live in Effingham, Illinois, for okay. those that know uh, the middle of the country. It's about 200 miles south of Chicago. Okay. And about 100 miles east of St. Louis. Okay. Uh, my town is, uh, it's kind of the crossroads of America. In fact, they call it the crossroads of America because we have two major interstate highways that intersect at our town. Oh, there you um, go. So you can basically go from the east coast to the west coast uh, on one interstate and then from the Gulf of Mexico almost all the way to Canada on the other interstate. 
Um, and so it's, it's, you know, we're kind of like a, a big head. But, yeah, like I said, our town is relatively small. Um, my high school, my entire class from kindergarten all the way to high school, we only had like 250 kids in it. Um, and I was the only one with uh, any sort of uh, outward physical disability, um, unless somebody broke my leg. Um, but, uh, you know, it was, uh, it, it was one of those experiences where it never felt weird because it was just normal. You know, nobody ever treated me, uh, not really anyway. And I'm sure when we were real little, you know, kids are sometimes mean because, you know, they're yeah, afraid yeah. of, it's, you know, afraid of what's different. But I don't like to remember like a, a traumatizing experience or anything. Um, you know, I mean, everybody was just accepting. It, was, it wasn't weird because this is the way it had always been from day one. Right. Um, so it wasn't like, oh, uh, tail the new kid. I was just tail. Um, right. And I think that kind of, it, it set up this situation where like, I was, I was, in a, a spot where it didn't feel weird or outsiderish to have a disability. And because of that, um, I kind of just never really thought about it. In fact, the only time I did think about it was when I met like new folks, especially when I was like 15 and younger. Um, you would meet new folks. And this was obviously, you know, early 2000s, late 90s, depending on how old I was. And folks with disabilities weren't as, you know, in society as they are now because technology hadn't gotten to that point yet, right? And when I would meet new folks, you would inevitably get that, hello, how are you? (laughs) And what I found was I got really good at being snarky and kind of sarcastic. <laughs> at, but not, but trying not to be rude as well. Right. But in a way that like broke down that barrier and made it immediately obvious that, hey, just because you see somebody that maybe uses a wheelchair or, uh, you know, even somebody that has maybe a hard time enunciating or uh, speaking, you know, like people with cerebral palsy, for example, right. you know, they might have a hard time uh, speaking. It doesn't mean that that you need to treat them as any sort of kid bloods or, right. or difference. Just right. assume that everybody's... So, so I got really good at kind of like breaking down that barrier. Um, and now, admittedly, as I've gotten older, I've gotten slightly more vulgar with that. Um, mm-hmm. But that's just a product of my personality. Um, <laughs> I, I, I have a tendency to uh, not do a very good job of censoring myself. Uh-huh. I'm doing better, <laughs> damn it. Um, but it, it, I got to say, it's it's a pretty wonderful personality. Like the, the things that you spoke to, it makes a lot of things make sense because, you know, again, as per that introduction and as per how I know you, I've met you as well. And just sort of seeing you interact with everyone in the poker community, it is truly 
just like anyone else. You truly are welcomed, welcoming, and you know, you, you give back just like everybody. Like it, it's a really cool thing. There is no barrier from what I see. And it's uh, I guess perhaps a testament to everyone with whom you grew up and you know just kind of included you and, and that much more so as well to your parents who fought for that to, to, to ensure that it would happen. Absolutely, and that's why I love poker so much because, you know, I, I say this all the time and anybody that's ever heard me on anything else will probably know what I'm going to say, but poker is super democratic. Um, it doesn't matter anything about you personally. If you can afford the buy-in for a tournament or a cash game or, or whatever, you have just as much right to sit in that seat as anyone else. Um, there isn't, you know, it's not like golf where you have to like qualify for an open tournament via some other tournament and, and so on and so forth. Or, or you, know, you know, obviously other sporting events, you know, there's a, a massive barrier to entry you have to, to be physically gifted or, or something in some way. All that matters in poker is that you, A, have, you know, afford to sit at the table, but B, and more importantly, that you can think in a way that allows you to hopefully outthink the other eight, seven, six, five, however many people are at the table. Right. And that is something that, you know, nearly anyone can, uh, can take part in. And I think that's what draws me to the game so much. It's, it's very, it's, one of the most democratic games in the world, at least in my opinion. Sure. Well, so, you know, we talk about, uh, you know, your love for poker, and obviously most of uh, this episode will be talking all about that. I'm a little curious, you know, KL before poker. You know, I don't, I don't imagine you necessarily grew up thinking, you know, this is what's going to be, uh, you know, my thing to do. What, what were you sort of, I guess, ambitious to do? And what did you think originally would be the plan before poker kind of plucked you up and, 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 you know, put you on this path? Yeah, so it's such a thing you ask, as um, I, I didn't know this at the time, but I think I was kind of subconsciously or serendipitously depending on your perspective, um, following a poker path because I actually started in pre-law um, when I was coming out of high school. I was pre-law and we know how many, you know, uh, pre you know former lawyers or yeah. now, you know, lawyers that have, have made that transition. I think there's something about that, that way of thinking, um, mm -hmm. you know, that type of analytical mind that maybe draws people that, I was pretty well. Um, the reason I was is um, I loved the idea of litigation. I like to argue. I'm a really big fan of, of being right. Um, <laughs> real, big, real big fan of being right. Um, okay. And, uh, 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 you know, it's one of those things where I, I love, I still do love the law. Um, and I had never seen rounders. Oddly enough, I hadn't seen rounders until I moved into poker. I think we need and to stop right now. <laughs> I know. Right? Well, I hadn't I, I, until I moved into poker. Oh, I'd never okay, seen, okay. Yeah, got I, I, I no, yeah, and so I, I didn't realize that I was like following Mike McDermott's path. There you um, go. But not even knowing it. But uh, 
you know, I was saying that, and I really did vote the wall, but the problem was, um, I just, I found out that I didn't love it enough that I was willing to dedicate 15 years of my life mm. being in the background for right. someone else to be in front of a judge before I ever got a chance to do that. Mm-hmm. And that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to litigate. I wanted to be in the courtroom making oral arguments, you know, convincing people that that my way of seeing it was accurate. Um, and I just wasn't, I wasn't in love with it enough. And so I did something really weird. I switched to advertising of all things. Um, when I was in, yeah, when I was in college, uh, when I was in uh, high school, rather, I was in a, a multimedia class okay. um, where basically it was, it was a film class. Uh, our, our film class, we were very lucky. We had uh, two Academy Award-winning uh, teachers who taught the class. Um, and we we were super insanely lucky. We had colleges would regularly come into our class to learn how to teach this class. That's cool. Um, and this is a high school. Right. I mean, yeah, I, I, was a, I was a junior and a senior. I loved it. I loved the storytelling aspect. I think, you know, there is a bit of an overlap there. You know, the idea of telling a story, the idea of, of you know, getting people invested in what you're trying to tell them. I think there are some similarities there, which is why I liked the idea of being a lawyer as well. Um, and so I switched to advertising, which was kind of the closest thing to that, uh, you know, mindset that was available at the University of Illinois, which is where I went to school. Um, so I, gradu- I graduated with a uh, degree in advertising, and uh, because I was pre-law, I also somehow ended up with a, uh, a minor in political science, which, <laughs> uh, which oddly enough, um, was uh, focused. I don't even remember how I did this. I just started taking classes that interested me. But my minor in political science has a focus on international geopolitics. Oh, wow. (laughs) Certainly a very well-rounded education there. You can imagine I'm very interested in what's happening right now. Oh, Um, I can imagine. (laughs) But, uh, you know, it it was one of those things where I kind of had a whole bunch of these things that I could do uh, relatively well. Um, but like I said, I live in a small area. Um, and so the opportunities here mm. are very limited. It's not something that we can just pick up and move somewhere. My, my parents or my, my caregivers, like I said, I need assistance with everything. Um, yeah. you know, so if, I need a, if I need a drink in the middle of this podcast, I'm going to say, hey, Dad, give me a drink. Um, and, and so... They're my primary caregivers, and it's not just as easy as, as say, moving to Chicago or something to to follow a a job. And so we ended up doing something kind of crazy. Um, We opened a production company here in Effingham. And I I made, um, you know, we, we made content for about 10 years. 
And I produced- Say we, that means you and your parents together as a joint venture? Yeah, yeah. so dad was the cameraman and, and uh, we had rigged up some technology where I was in his ear when uh-huh. we were filming on scene. And if it was a, you know, a live event of some sort, then I would say, hey, you know, make sure you get this or that or whatever with a, a, a live video feed so I could see what he was seeing. Um, and then uh, I would edit at, at you know, the, the house, you know, put everything together, everything from audio to graphics to, you know, anything, at, at design work. Uh, we would do a lot in-house, wouldn't outsource any of it. And it was basically a, a two-man gig, um, him and I. And we did that for, like I said, about, about 10 years. We we did stuff for Harvey Davidson, Relay for Life, um, some like Lutheran, uh, the, the regional Lutheran diocese. Uh, we did a lot of stuff uh, as charity. Um, you know, obviously helping give back for um, the annual stair climb on September 11th. Uh, the firefighters in the area will go to the local hospital. It's only like a five-story hospital. But they'll go up and down the stairs until they do the number of floors that the firefighters oh would go up on September 11th. Wow. Um, and we did a video about that, which hmm. was um, obviously, you know, really, really, uh, I don't want to say fun because it's a, it's a somber experience, but it was, it was fun in the sense that these guys, you know, were amazing. I mean, they yeah. were, they were laughing and having a good time and, and, you know, really enjoying the time that they were getting to have memorializing all this. Um, and and it, it was neat to see them. And obviously everybody's dog tired at the end of it, but, you know, they, they really embraced the moment and being able to, to capture that uh, and, and spread the word about it to help them raise more money was, was something cool. But I'm kind of rambling a little bit. Uh, okay. I, don't, I, don't, I, don't, I just don't want to interrupt, but it's just, it's fascinating to hear. I mean, you obviously had a very rich, very fulfilling, very busy, active career before yeah, poker. Absolutely. So, so, I mean, you had all that going for you. You had this tremendous background in, in you know, law, wanting to be a litigator. You had, you know, the, um, uh, you know, the, the advertising, uh, the, the political side, like a lot of broad background. You really, in, in a sense, you know, even despite the limited options, you know, you kind of had a sort of a choice. Where do you want to go? And then all of a sudden, poker comes along. How did that what was that first encounter like? And then why did you sit and decide, okay, you know what, I'm going to leave what I've done up until now and move into something new? Yeah, um, you know, things kind of started to dry up a little bit with, uh, with the, the advertising and, and production stuff mm-hmm. that we were doing. We had built up a good name, but um, we were getting to the point where we no longer felt like we wanted to start taking big haircuts on our pricing that we were offering and people loved the work that they just didn't love it enough to you know 
Case there was an alien. Okay. Um, a very and, familiar and, story. I guess that. I'm sure a lot of folks have faced that before. And, absolutely. And, uh, uh, you know, things kind of started to dry up, and it wasn't like a, a one moment thing. It was, it was more of a, a slow, you know, transition sure. uh, type, type, of, type of thing. Essentially, I was in this poker group on this, like, super tiny like crypto poker site. It was like a Dogecoin okay. poker site. Okay. And this was like five or six years ago. Um when, you know, Dogecoin was like less than a penny or whatever okay. it was. And yeah, we would just mess around basically. We would just, you know, be be joking around and having fun. And uh, I got into a group with uh, Jared Smith, uh, who a lot of your listeners will probably know. He's now living in Vegas. He, he's from St. Louis originally, uh-huh. which is, like I said, an hour and a half away from me. Um, and there were a few other people in there. Um, Krista Borg, uh, Melissa, uh, Melissa 2141, for those that, that know screen names better than than real names. Um, you know, they were they were in this this group and we ended up all together in a Skype group and we just started studying, essentially. Yeah. I mean not even really actively studying, just like, you know, sending hands. Okay. And it was just like almost like accidental studying huh. essentially um and uh one thing that's ever i started enjoying it more i i realized that you know it was it was an outlet to like feed my competitiveness right. that i was you know I, I didn't know what i was looking for but i realized whenever i found it um and you know we we were just has experiencing it together um, and ended up starting streaming actually um, built up a relatively moderately successful stream average a little bit less than 100 viewers uh, a session once I you know after a few a few months of doing it consistently and um, now, one second. This was that, you were still. This was still a recreational pursuit. You were not a professional poker player at that time. No, right? definitely not. I was right. bad. I was super bad. I was the opposite of good. And I'm still <laughs> bad. And I'm still bad, but like not as bad. Um, no, uh, but no, I was definitely not pro in any sense of the of the word. I was, you know, hell, I was playing like, you know. $4 ABI. I mean, you know, this is like joke. Fascinating stuff. to me, though, that you already felt at that time, knowing that, you know, you're not the shiz just yet. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> why did you think, uh, how did you come up with this? Now? Why would you want to stream your play? Who did you think would be tuning in? Uh, honestly, this is one of those things where, like, Twitch poker was really starting to take shape. Um, and it was it was a wild west of of content, and I was like, well, I mean, I, I did watch streams 
and there were tons of other people who, you know, obviously weren't doing broadcasts because they felt like they were doing like free coaching and and you know were some amazing uh, player. They were just having fun. I was like, that seems fun. I kind of want to do that. And it was very much a, a community aspect. Um, other thing now, it's way more complicated because it's a lot more competitive on, on Twitch poker. Um, but back then, I mean, really the only, I mean, this was back when Jay Tover was essentially running Twitch poker. I mean, he wasn't like officially running Twitch poker, but- He was the end boss was, before there were any other bosses at all. So. Exactly, 100%. But, um, you know, we started doing this and it was at this point, like, we start getting closer to 2017. Um, you know, I had stopped streaming as regularly because um, I was starting to, to take things more serious. I was starting to, to really actually, you know, study, try to find ways to study. Right. Um, and then Daniel announces, oh, hey, by the way, submit a video I'm going to put, you know, a person in the thing, three people, that I'm going to put someone in the main event. And I was not going to submit. I figure I had no way of winning. And even if I do win, how am I going to get out there? Um, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, this group that I was in with Jared and Alyssa and Chris, um, and, and a few others, they were like, no, you're submitting. Like, you have to submit. Like, there's no way you can't. Um, and so, like, on the last day, I yeah. think that wow. you could submit. I, I submitted a video, um, and it was me and my dad actually sitting right where I'm sitting now, um, or close to where I'm sitting now. Yeah. And uh, uh, he, uh, you know, he was sitting behind me, and I was like, hey, this is who I am, this is my dad, he holds my cards, um, you know, I'd love the opportunity, um, I don't remember what I said, <laughs> I didn't write anything down, right. I just completely won it, uh, comp- uh, entirely off the cuff, uh-huh. and, uh, you know, it was one of those things where I didn't really think about it, I, I was like, there's no way I'm going to win. Right. And then I think it was a day later, maybe not even a day before it had, yeah, it wasn't even a day because I don't think they had officially closed uh-huh. submissions. Right, right. He retweets it and goes, Well, I think we have a winner. Oh boy. <laughs> That's a, like, a very life changing moment right there. Yeah. I was like, What? I just messaged somebody in the group. I'm like, um, Guys, I think that won. And then, like, he looked it back a tiny bit. And I was like, oh, no, did you send it on accident? Like, was it a mistake? Um, and they were like, no, dude. You probably just had to look it back because it wasn't officially closed yet. Oh, okay. Et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Like, trust me, you won. I'm like, wow. and so we were like, you know, we didn't know. And then he sent me a message, um, or he, he posted a message. Um, about, you know, we're not sending one, 
were sending three, right. and they posted a view. Right, and I remember these that. These are the three, and uh, I, I was on that. And then from there, it was a race to figure out how to get out there. I, One second. So I want to stop you right there because I'm definitely going to ask you about that. But mm-hmm. so, so that's where I'm sort of interested again. You know, before that, you know, it's very clear you've been playing online, you've been streaming, and you know, I, I imagine that's something you could do on your own. But you say, "This is my dad. He holds my cards." What was it like, sort of like figuring out how to play live poker? Did your dad come with you right from the beginning? Did he know how to play? Did you have yeah. to teach him? And where did you play? Was it home game? I mean, a lot of questions there. Yeah. So we played. So we lived about an hour and a half from St. Louis, which is the closest live room. Um, and then, we're, you know, this was kind of during the the beginning of the heyday of the mid-major. Um, uh-huh. And so there were a few mid-majors that would go to St. Louis. And we had been over there, I think, twice for, like, little day trips. Um, like HPTs, played... MSPTs, like that? that exactly. It was, okay. it, was exact, it was HPT, exactly, um, which they're no longer... Around RIP um, HPT. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> um, I, I'm definitely going to miss that series. Um, but yeah, they, uh, you know, they would have events at, uh, at Ameristar or Lumiere, um, which are in St. Louis. Right. And uh, we would go for like a day trip and play like some super tiny, you know, side event or whatever. You know, we, it was like, a 200 or something. Um, and we kind of just figured it out. I mean, dad, my dad knew how to play poker, but we'd never played live before. So we didn't really know the, the uh, kind of the nuances or the differences of, of live play versus you know, online play. Like, for example, I raised illegally, like one of my uh-huh. first sessions. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, no, so you have to raise at least this much. Right. And I'm like, well, now, oh, my dad. Um, and, you know, it, it's just all those things that that new players, mm-hmm. you know, kind of deal with, we dealt with as well. But right. obviously, it was both of us needing to learn uh-huh. um, on the fly versus, and then little things like, how he shows me my cards. Right. Yeah, you know, just practicing that. Um, right. so that you don't want to kill anyone else, obviously. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Protecting the hand, but also, you know, giving me the ability to see what it is that, that we yeah. have. Um, and, and honestly, it was one of those, that's just, you know, repetitions. You know, mm-hmm. after, after two or three tournaments, you kind of, Figure out what works. Figure out what doesn't work. Um, you know, now we've done it enough mm-hmm. um, that you know we we've got a had a, a routine. Where right. We show up to we show up to play. We right. first thing we do is go to whoever the floor is on duty and say, "Hey, we're here." You know, most people know me by now. Um, you know, if they don't, we explain. You know, how it works. Um, And nobody's ever had an issue. The Mm -hmm. only time that we ever do 
have an issue is if, you know, obviously we're, we're taking up extra space yeah. at the table because mm-hmm. he sits, you know, he has to sit beside me. Okay. Um, and so the only time we're going to have an issue is, you know, if a player is you know, maybe having a bad day and mm-hmm. doesn't want to shift over a right. little bit, you know, right. just, you know, Hey, I'm at the table. Can I move around? You know, and just give a little bit of extra room. Mm-hmm. Um, or sometimes it was funny during the series, they had so many new dealers. Right. Um, yes, when, we would, when we would sit down, um, it, the box was no longer perfectly square to them. Um, so, you know, like the five and six. Or you know, depending on if it was eight or nine or or whatever, right. wouldn't wouldn't be perfectly split. Okay. Uh, between you know between the dealer and every now and then they'd be like, no, we need you know, we need to square up, and everybody'd be like, how? <laughs> like, and then they'd be like, well, just figure it out. And oh like, gosh. <laughs> and I'm like, and I, I really have to you know, say like, dealer, we are the extra person. You're just gonna have to, you know, kind of make do right now. Right. And then they'd be like, Oh, well that's not how it's supposed to be, but it's fine. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I was just like, uh, uh, okay, okay. I, they they had a tough having, time. They were new dealers, you know. I, so. I, I know I know you're having a bad day. I'm, I'm gonna get you know, I totally understand. Right, so, right. No big deal. So but so anyways, one second, let's let, let's walk it back a little bit again, just one more thing. So you know, you, you go into a casino the first time in St. Louis. I mean, I know every, and that's an experience that I'm sure so many folks in the Cards Chat community have had. I know I've had mm-hmm. it. I remember it's like it's a very special kind of thing. You're excited. There's a lot Absolutely. of emotions, you know. You don't know what's going to happen. You're like, oh, am I going to leave like super rich today? Like, right. Um... <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it's you. And, and at the same time, there's also all of these sort of logistical concerns that you have. Was there any sense of like being intimidated by it or was it determination or was just sort of, was excitement kind of overcoming all of it for you? Yeah, no, it was obviously super exciting. Um, You know, that was, that was the overarching, you know, kind of of feeling. There's a little bit of, you know, unsureness, I guess. You know, like I said, you know, like, Raising illegally, you know, illegally, for example, is a is a great example. Um, but you know, things like that. But I think it's one of those deals where you kind of fall back on your experience from the digital interface, right? right. And that helps so much mm-hmm. because not all of it is foreign to you at that mm-hmm. point. You know, the hand rankings are still the same. You still get the same amount of cards. You still have to follow the action in the same order at the table. Um, you know, it's all, it, it, there is familiarity to you that kind of makes it more inviting and, and, and feel you know, more like home. Um, and, and obviously now, a lot of table does feel like home. Like, it's super flexible, you know. You, right. It's 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 amazing who you get to meet that you would never ever meet in a million years at a poker table, um, and, and those are those are kind of the 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 things that 
once you get beyond that first hour or two hours of you know your first time ever, you, you know you figure it out relatively quick. At least we did, um, which I think you know is a good sign for anybody else. Because if if we can figure it out with two people having to to do so, then then it shouldn't be intimidating uh, for very long for for others. And I think you know for for new players at a live venue. Once you kind of get past that, it really is just pure unadulterated euphoria. Um, you know, assuming you don't get sucked out on, obviously. Right. <laughs> <laughs> of course. But even of if course. you do, even if you do, hey, at least you have a uh, a great story can, to tell, right? <laughs> exactly. You can, you can join the untold masses uh-huh. in giving your bad beat story to your friends that do not care. Right. <laughs> so so let's so let's jump back to those untold masses. Let's jump back to 2017. You get the amazing news, life-changing moment. Daniel's like, we're putting you in the main event. So okay, you said there's a lot of stuff to figure out before you ended up, you know, there in the main event in, in Las Vegas. So so let's take through a little timeline from, okay, we know that's happening. How does that happen? And then the run itself, what's it like, you know, playing uh, in that main event? And, and we know uh, you cashed. It must have been real special. It was. Um, yeah, so as soon as we found out, the, the first thing we had to do was figure out how do we get there and where are we staying? Um, obviously, we need some different accommodations. Um, we, we're going to be there, you know, a decently long time. At least your first trip to Las Vegas. Uh, it was my second time there, but okay. my first time we were like really small kids. Okay. And and we did like a road trip as young, you know, young kids. Um, we did a road trip throughout the entire like western portion of the U.S. Um, and so I don't really count that because you know it doesn't it just doesn't count. Um. But we, uh, you know, we, we had to figure out how we're getting there and what we're staying. So we actually had a stream um, afterwards where I was like, listen, guys, I'm going to be honest with you. Uh, you know, there is travel funds in the giveaway, but it's just not going to be enough. I need some help getting out there. Um, and so we had a stream and we raised like, I, we raised like over two thousand dollars, I think it was, to help get out there. Um, when I'm there, we stayed at the Rio, uh, which made the logistics of playing much easier. Right. Didn't have to drive to and from. Uh, but on the other hand, uh, you know, there are logistics that we did have to figure out. That we needed to rent a hostel bed, for example. Because I needed I need that to sleep on. Um, we had to like confirm that the rooms in the Rio were big enough that you could put a hospital bed in the room. Oh, and still be able to like drive a wheelchair around. Now, obviously, we didn't know this at the time, but the Rio is technically all suites. Yeah, that's so plenty of big there, rooms there. I've yeah, there, there, there's plenty of room in those rooms, but we had no idea. We, right. we didn't know anything. Um, so we had to like ask about that and figure it out. And uh, Christian Sanchez, who uh, is Ryan's kind of 
Right. Oh, I'm, I'm sorry, not Ryan. Yeah. Daniel. We'll get to Ryan later. <laughs> we'll get to Ryan. Daniel's right arm, um, sure. Christian was, you know, massively helpful and yeah. helping us you know, kind of negotiate a lot of these things. Uh, but then we drove out and, um, you know, everybody's like, well, Taylor, how'd you get there? If your vehicle was, you know, not great. Well, it's uh, funny you asked. We almost didn't make it. Um, we broke down in Albuquerque. So, oh, boy. Yeah. yeah, we broke down in Albuquerque and we had to stop for an entire day. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, we were, we had gotten off the interstate and we were driving to get back on and we were sitting at a stoplight. Remember, this is like late June, early July. It's yeah. approximately 155 outside. I mean, it's it's super hot. Yeah. And the van randomly starts going ballistic. Oh the, the windshield wipers turn on, the alarm goes off, Ooh. it starts spraying uh, wiper fluid. Not optimal. Not optimal. Yeah. This is random. Mom was driving, dad's in the back. He goes, what are you doing? She's like, I'm not doing anything. I did not touch anything. So we find a Dodge dealership. They look at it. They're able to find out it's some sort of electrical issue. Um, and you know, it it ends up working out in the end. We were able to get back on the road a few hours later, drive for a few hundred more miles, and then finish the trip the following day. So like I said, you know, we, we almost didn't make it because we were set to arrive, I believe, the day before my day one. Okay. Uh, and so if we would have been delayed any further, I yeah. was playing day, I was playing one D. So oh, so yeah, that's it. You can't miss it. Yeah, right. exactly. I was like, you know, I'm, I'm either showing up and playing or I'm just not playing at all. And we just you know, wasted a whole bunch of time and effort. Yeah. Um, so, but we ended up making it in time. And uh, I did there, and obviously, we did end up getting there a day early, even after all of the, well, not a day early, a day before I was set to play, um, even with all of the right. uh, issues. And that day, I was able to go and observe the turn area and kind of get yourself familiarized yeah yeah soak in the ambiance Mm -hmm. and 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 you know not be not be overwhelmed i guess by the moment and i really think that was a big a, a big asset in not feeling like Massive nerves on right. day one, because sure. um, it was it was obviously the main event. It's a big freaking deal, right? But <laughs> yes, being, there, being there the day before, being able to like, uh, oh, there's the mothership, and oh my god, that's you know that's so and so, and you know you know all these people that you you see on TV and yep. like, holy cow, like, and, and so being able to like. Get all the fanboy stuff out of the way, right? Without the 
the playing pressure on top, um, you know, I think was a, a big, a big asset. And then, sure. like you said, we uh, somehow just kept finding a bag. Um, you know, I never found a bag, so I thought, like that's pretty cool. <laughs> I mean, it was it was crazy. Like, uh-huh. I mean, I, 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 I never felt overwhelmed at any point. Um, you know, there were a few spots where, like, I accidentally made the right checkers, and I had no idea why I was doing it. But now that I know more, I'm go back. And look at the hands or remember the hands. I'm like, oh, hey, that, that's a, correct. That's the right play. <laughs> that worked that out is, well. <laughs> that is silver approved. There and, you go. Uh, but, you know, it, it was one of those, um, it, it was it, it was surreal and exciting. You know, we got to play the David Benjamin on the list for you know, a, an evening. Um, you know, I, I, I ran a bluff on, on Harrison Gimble, um, which was fun. Uh, I, I threw that Michael Acevedo repeatedly on day three. And Mr. GTO, three. folks, if you don't know yeah, that name, Michael Acevedo. I didn't realize it was Michael Acevedo. He pulls me aside on break and he's like, and, and that, that, yeah, it's a accent. Yeah, you've been playing very well today. Uh, yeah. <laughs> this is before really he like, wrote his book, Modern Poker Theory, right? This is before he wrote the book, but, but he was still just uh, as talented. <laughs> he was still a sicko. Um, yeah. <laughs> you know, th- that table that day had Harrison Gumble, uh, uh, Michael Acevedo, two Eastern Europeans that had one bracelet that year. Already, oh, boy. Um, it was it was it was a bloodbath. Oh and, yeah, you know, throw right into the deep held, end there. Yeah, we held our own. It was fun. Um, you know, I spiked quads on the turn for my turn at life to stay alive for my turn at life. I ran kings in the aces um, uh, against uh, uh, Rudoha. I can't say his first name. Okay. Um, he's a, a, a pro. Um, but, you know, it was funny because my dad celebrated extensively um, when, we, when we spiked the floods. And so they were like, you know, open, through that jam, he snap calls. I'm like, oh, shit, you have aces. Right? He's like, yeah, you have kings, right? I'm like, yeah, okay, let's run it. Um, I was just you know, getting ready to leave, and we strike a king in the window, and then just turn dead. Uh, and my dad is like slamming the you know the rail like, yeah, <laughs> and the whole it's, like, it's the main event. You're allowed a little bit, but that's pretty. Cool. The whole the whole convention center. Knew something happened because everybody <laughs> looks up, his voice carries, and he sits down and he, he looks at Mark. That's his name, Mark. He looks at Mark and he goes, Oh my god, I am so sorry. Oh, god, because he kind of like he realized immediately that it was, you know, a bit, you know, an outburst. And Mark was like, No, man, 
That was awesome. <laughs> I do really, you enjoyed the man. You, I love it. You recognized the emotion yeah. and that, you know, that this was a big deal. And I think that, you know, you know power was getting to a point where people are too robotic um, to, you know, almost not excited when they win. You know, I know that when you get excited when you win, it could theoretically lead to outbursts when you lose, yeah. which are never a good thing. Of course. Um, but I, I do think that there is a place for emotion in poker. Um, and, you know, you see all these, you know, all these high rollers and whatnot, which are obviously filled with the best players in the world who are very even keeled. But I'm not going to lie. I don't hate it when you see a little bit of, yeah, when they spike, you know, some sort of miracle card. Life. You get once in a while celebration is cool and, and called for. Not, you know, not Absolutely. too much, but yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Right. And, and so, yeah, it was, it was a blast. We ended up uh, making one pay jump. And, you know, it was... It was honestly the the thing that has allowed me to stay in the community, not because of the winning. That that's not it at all. It's I get to meet and be around so many people. Um, whenever I won, everybody in our poker group immediately, without question, booked an airline ticket and a hotel. So they could come out and rail me playing the name. And these are people I had never met in real life before. Wow. We've only met via Skype and, and you know online. And they were so excited that they were just like, no, dude, we're gonna be there. And you know, we got to we got to hang out and enjoy each other and, and have fun. And you know, obviously the main event was was, you know. Life altering, but one of the my most treasured memories from that trip is being able to uh, to meet them in person and just you know enjoy that time with uh, these friends that you know you, you you've you've come to know so well, but um, had never seen in person. That, that's just absolutely an incredible thing. And it's a, just uh, an amazing story. You know, like if you, if you put like numbers, you know, black on white, so you see, okay, KL, Clash, uh, cash, cash, made the money, great. But that background story is so rich there. It's, it's an unbelievable thing. And there's clearly so much more to it that yeah, I'd say even meant more to you, clearly, uh, than, than just being able to cash. Very cool. Absolutely, absolutely. So in a sense, you know, to, to fast forward four years, I suppose, in a sense, there was somewhat of a repetition of that story. I, as far as I know, the story from last year, a lot of similar types of elements for those who didn't exactly or who may don't don't know or don't remember when Veronica sort of kind of began campaigning on your behalf. How did that sort of story begin? Uh, did you know her? Any, anything like that to sort of recap, how did you make your way to the WSOP 2021 last year? 
Yeah, so um, I was on her show. I actually was um, a viewer of her show on YouTube um, when she very first started. And I randomly retweeted one of the episodes. I was like, hey, that's a really good episode. You should check it out. And I was not like, I'm still not. I was not like Twitter popular or anything, but I had like 2K followers. And she just sent me a random DM. was like, hey, thank you so much for retweeting. I really appreciate it. Um, and she asked me to come on uh, and, and talk about what we're talking about and, and other stuff. I was just starting Range Turn Pro at that time, so I was like, hell yeah, I would love to come on and, and show my product. There you go. I'm getting ready to, to, to uh, launch. Um, and during the course of that conversation, she asked if I had uh, been back since, and that was when I just kind of I don't know, offhandedly, I didn't even think about it. I mentioned that, no, I hadn't. My current mode of transportation wasn't reliable enough right. to make a, a trip like that. And, you know, it was like, really, we were just doing, you know, what we had to around town and then the occasional doctor visit, if necessary. And uh, she, apparently that kind of, like, stuck in her head. Um, and she messaged me, like, Two weeks later, maybe it was, right. and it's like, hey, you know, you mentioned this on the show, and it's like really bothered me. Since you know, if I reach out to some people and maybe see what we can do, um, and it's like, no, thank you for asking. I don't mind. I don't. I didn't expect anything, and I honestly had kind of not done it too much more thought, and then yeah. all of a sudden. I see this video posted um, with her and Aaliyah and a few other friends that I had um, you know, gotten close with in the intervening years. And it was hysterical. And I read that um, about, you know, this kid is, you know, so tacky. And, you know, because I, I made a joke about how I had outlasted Daniel in 17, <laughs> in the main event. And I was like, I think by the transit of property, that means I was better than Daniel. And you're just, you know, making it. And see, you know, obviously, I was like, oh, man, this kid, he's bragging about being better than Daniel Negreanu. We're just getting out to Vegas to, to be able to play in his place and, and stack KL. And that was kind of the, the joke angle of it. And they uh they had signed this GoFundMe, and this was at the like a month and a half before COVID started, right, right. Like, officially started, and they had raised like a little over, I think it was like eight thousand dollars in those first few weeks. Right. Um, and I was like blown away. I was like, holy cow! Yeah, this is insane. I I was never expecting anything. Um, and, and then Johnny you know, Vibes comes along. It slowed down for quite some time. And then, you know, obviously we know all about what, what happened with Veronica in the intermediate, you know, intervening time. Um, I kind of spoke about that during the uh, introduction at the GTI. Sure. Um, for those that are wondering, that was 
You know, I mentioned, you know, bravery, and that's what I was referring to. It takes a lot of, a lot of guts to, like, stand up and say, hey, I think somebody is doing something wrong in the poker community. Um, that's, that's not easy to do, especially in the age of social media, um, especially for a female, um, where, you know, I've seen some of the things that she's been attacked with privately and publicly sometimes. Um, and it's just absolutely vile. Um, and I, I don't, I know people are like, you know, maybe aware and grateful but I don't think they fully know everything. Um, and I don't want to share, obviously, because it's not mine to share. Um, but I just, I hope people realize. Um, but yeah, like you said, it kind of died down for a little bit, the, the fundraiser did. And then they just sent me a message and was like, I, I don't remember exactly what it said, but I'm paraphrasing. It was like basically, I'm sick of this shit. We're finishing it. Like, like, you know, like that, you know, just her resolving that this is going to happen wow. one way or another. Um, and so they did this amazing, hilarious roast where it's still on her channel. I would encourage everyone to, to go and watch it. It is hysterical. Um, Ryan Lang did affect on the roast, which everyone knows why I'm lying now because right. of his insane 2021 uh, series that he had. Well, um, and because he was, at, you know, guest on episode number 71 of the podcast, you know, just that, that too, just saying, yeah. Absolutely. I mean, far more for episode 71. Yes. And Johnny Vibes was 72. Just, just putting it out there. But yeah, go on. <laughs> Don't watch that. Pause this right now. Don't watch that. Um, <laughs> but um, she put the other hilarious roast of, of me and her and Phil Homie stopped by randomly um, and donated some, some money. And obviously, it's time. Uh, we had no idea. He was going to show up. He just like, saw it on Twitter and then was like, hey, can I stop by? And we are like, no, Phil, you definitely can't. Do <laughs> yeah, I mean, absolutely, you can stop by. Um, and uh, uh, you know, it was it was a blast. And then, like you said, Johnny at Jerry Dates' wedding in Mexico drunkenly posts a tweet that says, "For every retweet this gets, I'm going to donate five dollars to." Uh, the fund, and John and I spoke about this extensively uh, in October and November when I was out there, um, and I'm sure that I'm not saying anything that he wouldn't say himself, uh, but he was just like, even though I didn't really think anything of that, you know, I, I figured it would get, you know, maybe a hundred or so, and you know, that would be that. Um, but it got, uh, over 2, it, got over, it got almost 2,000, or actually over 2,000, right. as far as I know. And um, he told me that... $10,000, folks, you know, quick on the $10,000. He moved up the next day, or I'm sorry, he, he was on the flight back, rather. Uh, yeah. He said, 
And he said the fight with no internet was the biggest threat of his life. <laughs> he said. <laughs> but then he had no idea. He right. knew it before he took off. Right. Oh my God, this thing's gaining traction. Right. But he didn't know that it was what it was going to be when he landed. Um, but then, I mean, he did something incredible. He was like, listen, this got really big. Um, and he could you know, he could easily Back, sure. said, yeah, and said, sorry guys, you know, this got bigger than I thought. You know, but he didn't. You know, he, he was, you know, yeah, I talked um, after that happened over the phone and then in person, obviously, a, a few times. And uh, he just, he was in a place where, like, he was like, this was a lot of money to me. And it still is a lot of money. And it's a lot of money to anybody. Um, you know, that day, I think. And then people assume, oh, it's Johnny Dodds. He's a YouTube star. He's got to be super rich. And that's not the case. I mean, this guy puts in work, hard work. I mean, you know, he's got to pay the bills like anybody else. And 10 grand is quite a Small few bills. That, that's a lot of bills, let me tell you. Yeah. And, uh, you know, he was like, listen, this is not small. And that money for me is a big deal. But, I I think that, you know, I think it's a good reason. Um, and, you know, we talked that. And I was like, honestly, dude, if it weren't for you, we wouldn't have hit the road. Right. And I wouldn't be here because not only did he donate, but all the awareness that you brought, mm-hmm. all those retweets led other people to themselves then be generous mm-hmm. as well. And donate. Um, and because of everyone being involved, um, not only were we able to get the vehicle we needed, but we were able to get not just a vehicle, but the vehicle that would allow us to actually go places. Right. Not, just, not just the WSOP, but you can keep going places. Exactly. And what I mean by that is all of the things that I travel with is a lot of stuff which requires a trailer. And a trailer on a conversion vehicle basically doesn't exist because the conversion adds a lot of weight to the vehicle. So what we ended up doing was the first generation of a new vehicle which is a Chevrolet um, SUV, and it's the first time they've ever done it. And because it's an SUV, it's able to pull a trailer even with the added weight. But as you can imagine, that first generation of SUV is mind-bogglingly expensive. I mean, it is stupid expensive. Um, but we were able to do that because of the generosity of everyone. It actually went a little bit above and beyond what we were asking for, what the listed goal of the the GoFunding was. Sure. And then, obviously, Bill Perkins, yeah. he was the one that was the big chunk that, along with Johnny, 
you know, between the two of them, that's essentially a li- you know, over a third of the end price, almost half, actually, of the price right. of the vehicle. And so Bill donated 25 grand um, to everything as well. And without those two, you know, you don't get there. Bill, Bill was much more in the, in the background. So right. I always, I always, mention him, but I don't want to like dwell up his thought because I don't know how you know in the forefront he wants to be. Um which well, I understand because folks who want to learn more about Bill they listen to episode 65. So it's all good. Yeah it's a, see you got it all that down pat. You gotta you gotta you gotta plug you gotta show away. <laughs> you even know you even know what episode number it is. I, I, I might that. happen to have a list in front of me, but uh, you may you, you do the name dropping, I'll just match the numbers. It's very, very oh, perfect. I love it. Well <laughs> I'm, I'm we're have still been on because you didn't uh, give his episode number. We're gonna have to uh fill. Oh, yeah. episode four. That's episode. Four. There we go. Okay, see? All right, there we go. <laughs> but, um, incredible, you know, incredible stuff. It, it was one of those things where we wouldn't have gotten anywhere without that. And right. then um, the trip itself was extensive as well. And um, right. it was, it was so, two months. You were there for the entire WSOP. So I'm very lucky in that I'm a, a backing group. Okay. And, Basically, the stable was like they wanted me to be out there the year, but uh, well, two years before, um, and we couldn't go because of the vehicle situation, right? right. And they were like, Listen, man, we want you here for the entire time playing a full schedule if you can do it. And um, Scott Ball, which I'm sure people know. Yeah, player, player of the year, the No Limit Hold'em Player of the Year 2021. Two double I mean, bracelet just, winner. You know, just winning the 5K6 Max. Right. Uh, what, what many people believe is the toughest tournament there is at the series. Um, and then obviously winning the uh, 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 one drop, the little one drop, the 1100. Um, but he connected me with. Uh, some people, uh, Phil Nagy was one, and a few other people, and they came through. Um, again, I don't, you know, I don't know how much they want me to, to talk about it, so I won't go into big detail. But if it weren't for them, we wouldn't have been able to manage the trip itself uh, and do that. So, you know, basically the public community got me out there so I could donate diet. Uh, which uh, I did. <laughs> I mean, uh, it's just fun. It's ostensibly a funny line. I know it's fun. That's no, it's it's true. I mean, I wouldn't say it if it wasn't if it wasn't funny. But that's great. Um, <laughs> but you know, the most important part was my family and I were there for the whole time, which was in and of itself something we never could dream doing in a million years. Yeah. The longest we'd ever been somewhere was two weeks. Right. And that had been years and years and years mm-hmm. since we'd ever you know, had to get away. Mm-hmm. Um, and 
being there and it's where I was playing constantly. Sure. So it was a you know, purely a vacation. And my mom and dad both were doing um remote type things, uh, remote work things. But in the end, we weren't at home. We were out in a different place, you know, meeting with all these people that we had gotten to know. Um, and I remember, I remember correctly, you had told me at some point that during the pandemic, you hadn't, forget leaving town or anything, you hadn't left your house for two yeah. years. Uh, a year a year and two months. Yeah. Wow. A year and two months it had been um, wow. since I had left. And yeah, so that's a big deal. It was, it was a massive deal just being able to be somewhere right. that wasn't our house, but also be somewhere surrounded by people that mm-hmm. we knew and right. knew us and that we cared about deeply and that they cared about us you know, deeply. I mean, the friends that we've made, you know, are really, you know, now family. I mean, I still want to take all their tips when we get seated at the, course, at the same course. table. But, you know, I mean, it, I can't wait to uh, hopefully have a chance to, you know, figure out a way to get back uh, this summer because, again, my stable is saying, we want you there for the entire time. Uh, we need you playing a full schedule. Um, I and, you kind and, of joined Alan Kessler's, you know, he was uh, episode number 73 for the listening, but I know you've joined his kind of like mixed game group. So if you're, if you're thinking to head out there, are you going to mix it up a little bit in the, in the non-Holdem events? I'm going to try to. Um, okay. I, 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 I started doing Wendy's book, um, which for anybody that's interested in learning next games, there's literally no better book, in my opinion. At least so far. Games, that's the name of the book, it, right? It, it's so good. Um, lays everything out so easily and clearly. And, and um, he does that also, just by the way, on the Cards Chat podcast in episode number 49. Just want to point that out, too. Perfect. I love it. I love it. <laughs> it's uh, almost like you have a list, too, Kay. <laughs> <laughs> but no, it's uh, it's something that I definitely try to get into. It looks like Everyone playing the next games when I was there yep. was having so much fun. Yes, sir. Uh, I kept reading, reading so many stories about you know people you know having a blast in those events, and I certainly want to try to. Um, but you know, I, I think the the Sable asking me to or trying to get me to be out there for the full time. It's obviously an intellect to me. Because that means that they're thinking, okay, he's good money in these events. Um, like they 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 believe in me as a player enough that they want me playing a stupid schedule. That they want me playing like this insanely, you know, crazy schedule, which I want to do. Yeah. But that is absolutely what I want to do. It's so right now my <laughs> my, uh, my 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 full focus is figuring out how to get out there, um, you know, from a, a logistical and, and financial perspective, because yeah. it's not cheap staying right. there for that well, amount of time. 
See, so I'm not just going to wish you good luck with that. I'm going to try and help you because folks, you know, if you're listening, maybe you heard it very briefly, but if you've been watching, you see on KL's screen, he's got the little logo there for Range Trainer Pro. Let's, you know, it's time. Let's go ahead and shill this product, KL. <laughs> you know, tell us a little bit yeah. about Range Trainer Pro. Maybe we'll, uh, you know, if you tell enough people and they're like interested enough, maybe we'll get you a little bit closer to uh, financing uh, this summer's trip, hopefully. So what is Range Trainer Pro? How does it work and who is it for? Absolutely, I love it. So um, it came from an idea that I got in 2017 during the main event uh, uh, run with Daniel, so many people reached out and offered access to information. Right, I know, remember training, that. Training sites, uh, you know, video content. People even offered to like, do little you know, coaching sessions with me uh, in the lead up, which all of it I was eternally grateful for. It, it truly helped me improve and, and allowed me to deepen my understanding. However, everybody had opening ranges, but nobody had good way to study them. It was just, here are the ranges, figure it out, um, which works for a lot of people, but it didn't work for me. It was not a good way to, like, internalize that information. And so that was the seed of the idea. It was, how can I help people learn pre-flop ranges in a way that is easier to understand, but B, it's, it's easier to you know, digest um, and, and actually learn. Um, and so... I will. Before you think that, was this part of also like the advertising KL, you know, kind of thinking probably, of like, was that an influence there? Probably, I think uh -huh. so. Um, but essentially, it took about two and a half years before okay. we had a product, um, before we had a product that was yeah. actually usable. But essentially, what Range Champion is, it started as a pre flop range study tool. So, you would either use our ranges that are GTO sold, or you can add your own if you want to. And then there's a training tool that allows you to, it will give you a hand and say, this is what position you're in, and this is your stat depth. What should you do? And it's just, it literally looks like an online poker table. Right, there's exactly. a table with all eight seats, and then it puts you at a seat and says, you have 10 five suited in the hijack on 30 big lines. What do you do? And then you'd go through and answer, you know, 50 or 100 or whatever, uh, you know, situations like that. And you internalize it by actually playing hands. You're actually playing a hand when you do that. Since then, we've expanded significantly. We've moved into post-flop uh, database training as well. So everybody is really excited about solvers and PO and, and you know, simple GTS solver and, 
know, these amazing tools, but they're super difficult to use. They're just not user-friendly at all. And so what we've done is we've consulted with some industry-leading players, people like Jonathan Van Fleet and Jason Kuhn, um, as well as uh, this is for Ryan the plant. Uh, yeah, we'll, we'll talk about people. him in a moment. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, and so those, you know, taking you know data points from all these different people, we've built uh, trees, you know, post uh trees for, for GTO solutions. And we've ran the stocks for every single stock, term, and river that there is, every single statistically significant slot turnover, which is 1,755 slots, and then obviously every turn, every river. Um, and we've built a tool that is literally point and click or tap if you're on a mobile device. Um, and you can, you can go through and see what a solver wants to do in certain situations as a way to study and, and kind of improve your understanding of and, the game. And when we talk about who is this app for, you know, the Range Trainer Pro, look, I'll, I'll be very honest, I've never really done any sort of hard me, you know, I always use myself as the barometer. I've never done any hardcore mathematical type of study, you know, charts range. I mean, to me, that's not that it's Greek because I understand the concept of it, but it's more of like, mm-hmm. uh, it just seems too difficult. And this you're saying basically removes that barrier and, you know, pretty much anyone with a, a solid understanding of poker can use it. Exactly. If you can point a mouse, you can literally use our tool. Um, yeah. Everything is, is very intuitive. It's just point and click. You, you have to, all you have to know is how many big lines do you have? What position are you in? And what position is the villain in? There's only three things you need to know. Once you know that, you just select the right situation and boom, it presents you with uh, the number and all the slots that are available. You can select the slot or if you want to, you can do a random one if you're just interested in studying it generally you know, from a macro level um, and you can dive in and kind of understand what the theory wants to do and you know this tool isn't for just super hardcore players it's designed to help anyone who is interested in making money in poker more easily understand the theory of the game even if their games are not at a point where they're applying perfect theory, because let's be honest, most lead games are very soft, and you should be making really big deviations from theory as a way to maximize how much money you make. But what I always tell people is, you cannot break the rules effectively unless you first know what the rules are. And in this case, the rules are GTO. That is the baseline from which you should start. And then you can break those rules based on the game that you're in because you're able to give a legitimate logical rationale as to why you're doing so. And all that means is that you're thinking about the game at 
a level that is one step deeper than your opponent. And really, at the end of the day, that's where you make your money. Thinking about the game one step deeper than your opponent does. Not two, because then you get into fancy play syndrome where you're doing stuff that that doesn't make any sense to them. Right. If you're either thinking about one step deeper and then adjust accordingly, you're gonna make you're gonna make the right decisions and that's what matters. I can't guarantee you we're gonna make you more money because I can't control variance. What I can control is your decision making. Right. And if you're making good decisions Eventually, you're probably going to make more money, um, and, and that's what we that's what we try to do. And we try to do it because of two reasons: a, I think knowledge in poker should be accessible, and when I say accessible, I mean easy to use, which we've talked about, but also affordable. I don't think that you should have to be independently wealthy or already have a lot of experience in, or a lot of success in poker to try to improve in poker. So what we do is we've made our tools as affordable as possible while still being able to pay the bills, if you will. And what that has led to is the most robust pre- and post-flop training tool together at the most affordable price by about 66%. So we're about a third of the price of what I would consider our next leading competitor. Um, And what's nice is our database of solutions for post-flop is constantly growing. I have 10 servers running right now, 24-7. And we're running solutions at all times, and it's not like we wait to add them. As soon as they're done, boom, they go on production database. So you can be on the site one day, and they're like, oh, man, they don't have this thought. And there's a really real chance, there's a very real chance, that the next day you'll pop in the site and be like, hey, this was here yesterday. Cool. Right. Um, I'm going to tell you that. Cool. Hold on one sec. So you talk about making good decisions on one of the great decisions you've obviously made. Uh, we mentioned Ryan LaPlante a couple of times, episode 33, by the way, and he's a Cards <laughs> Chat ambassador. Um, how'd you get involved uh, in working uh, with Ryan and what sort of involvement does he have uh, with the app? Yeah, so Ryan and I uh, met, as I've met most people over Twitter, mm-hmm. um, and I had posted about being interested in joining a stable as I was taking the game more seriously and um, he sent me a message and was like I think this would make sense let's uh, you know let's do a coaching session see where your game's at and and move from there and I joined his stable right at that point after our session and had been with him and then moved over to the people that back him uh, in the in the time since, which is Team Six Five One hashtag Team Six Five One. Let's go. Um, and I'm really obviously 
I, I, I love being with them because at no point has anyone ever sent me a message saying, why aren't you playing? As I've moved, <laughs> as I've, as I've moved into you know, being a bit of an entrepreneur and trying to start this business right. and then helping manage Ryan's training site, mm-hmm. Learn Pro Poker, which uh, you're obviously very yep. well aware of. Yep. Um, I, I manage that as well as run Ryan's Training Pro. Uh-huh. And that's, you know, full-time stuff right yeah, there, sure. uh, doing those two things. And so, um, you know, we we kind of got started at that. And as he's moved into doing his training site, I was still just doing, you know, coach and back by him. And, and since then, we've become very good friends. It's no longer, a, you know, a, a coach-student right, right. interaction. It's, you know, we talk every day and, and you know, it's not even about poker anymore. It's, okay, you know, about beautiful. our lives. Yeah. Um, but uh, he and Chris are, you know, part of the family, and you know, I like to think that we're kind of part of theirs as well, um, you know, to a certain extent. Mm-hmm. And you know, as as I started playing with them and he started learning from poker, I was like, hey man, you realize I used to have a production company, and I'm, you know, a good editor. Right? Uh, do you need help with that? Um, and so one thing led to another. I started doing editing for them, uh, just you know, to help out. And then it was it blossomed into awesome. more and more things. And then I went to him and his business partner with my range shampoo idea, and was connected with my business partner in that, who is the developer of the site, Matt Nicolajit. Um, he's the the mastermind behind the ease of use right. of the site. And, you know, it's all kind of just, you know, been an easy flow since then. And if it, wasn't for, if it wasn't for Ryan, you know, responding to my public, you know, Twitter post saying, hey, if anybody's looking, you know, for an American on a great market site right. in Illinois, to play poker <laughs> and, and back then, well, it happened to be just that person, Ryan said. Um, which is, you know, I mean, he took a chance on, uh, on you know, making me uh, a, you know, a player uh, under him. And, you know, obviously we're at, you know, some not insignificant amount on the table, but, but more importantly, um, we're both. You know, extremely good friends at this point, and uh, that's what I think. That's what we both value the most. That, that's huge, and you know, like I said, you know, it's so wonderful hearing your story, hearing you open up, obviously about you know your professional activities, how you got into poker. It's an amazing story, and thank you so much for for walking us through that journey, KL. Um, you know, that, that kind of exhausts my. Uh, questions that I had for you, but of course the Cards Chat community, uh, you know, from the forums, they had a bunch of questions for you. And, and this is now the the segment of the show. I hope uh, we'll try to get through as many as we can. Uh, we turn Absolutely. to 
we turn to the uh, Cards Chat community to see what questions they wanted to ask our guests. Uh, we do have a dedicated thread on the Cards Chat forum. So as we announce who our guests will be, folks, please be sure to send in your questions. And we got a couple from Crystals. Thank you very much, Crystals, uh, for sending this in. Um, Crystals wants to know, KL, have you ever had other people assist you while you're playing poker or is it just you and your dad? Yeah, so in, uh, in October and November, mom stepped in a few times uh, to let dad go play daily or something oh. for fun, which was, which was cool. Uh, mom does not play poker at all. <laughs> okay. um, so that's definitely, I have to be a lot more vigilant to make mm. sure that I'm, you know, hey, no, I said 1,500, that's a 5,000 chip. Right. Um, let's, let's not put that one out there. Um, uh, you know, but that's fun. Uh, we, have a, we have a blast. And everyone is always uh, very, very, you know, welcoming and, and you know, uh, just super gracious when, uh, when, I, when she's there. And uh, I saw Johnny Vibes at the Venetian when I was playing at Venetian there. And he was on the wait list. And it was going to be like at least an hour and a half before he could get a seat. So he tagged in for huh. dad for about 20 minutes or so. Uh, and we had a good time just, you know, hanging out. That's so trying, cool. Me trying not to look like a fool while he was uh, <laughs> seeing my hands. <laughs> very, very cool. Very cool. Uh, next one, it's kind of a biggie, but I want to, I always ask, you know, each person's questions, uh, you know, together, one after the other. Uh, Crystals wants to know, what do you hope will be your lasting legacy in poker, Kale? Yeah, so uh, I've actually spoken about this a lot. Uh, I care about making the leaving the game better than when I found it, making mm -hmm. it better overall. Um, that's what Wayne's Chair Pro is all about. That is why you know I, I mentioned you know we care about making it easy to use and affordable. You know I want to make I want to make poker a legitimate thing that people can turn to as a competitive outlet and not feel like they're just an ATM. Oh, I nice. want them to feel like they have a fighting shot uh, at the table because at the end of the day, that's all any of us want. We want to feel like you know, poker is a fair game. It's not just people, you know, oh man, I went so bad. And at the end of the day, it's a fair game. And I want people to know that. I want people to feel like they have a fair shot at uh, at competing and succeeding, and succeeding in whatever way, whatever way they want to define success. Maybe success for someone isn't winning a bracelet. Maybe it's just you know being break even and, and able to have that as a, a fun pastime that they do. Um, maybe if somebody is you know, in a dead-end job and they want to make poker a, a legitimate side income and maybe a primary income someday. Um, you know, whatever your range of, of goals are from I want to just understand the game better to I want to be a, a World Series champion. Anything in between, uh, that's what I care about. And uh, I, I'm, I'm hoping that every decision 
that I make, at least from an outward perspective, that might have an impact on the game for other people is in furtherance of that goal. Love it. That's a beautiful answer. Wow. Thank you. I should have ended off with that. I should have repositioned. That's a, just a beautiful answer. But, you know, Popey, you got to change gears. So we'll change gears with uh, Chica Bonita, uh, who asks <laughs> this great question. Uh, you know, also very apropos, uh, wants to know, uh, KL, what is your favorite poker variant outside of No Limit Hold'em, especially now that you're kind of getting into the mix? No Limit Deuce to Seven. And very pure. Now you're like- now you the question. I just, I, I don't know why. I just love that game. It's just pure, unadulterated aggression, and <laughs> I, I love that. I mean, there's very little information that you can gather, um, so it, it definitely is a game better played live. Um, you know, not so much online, but you know, it's just. Yeah, it's also one of those games that, like, you're either going to run out the stack, you know, and actually have a shot, or you're just going to be out, you know, pretty early, and then you can move on and, and go play something else if Nonsense. it doesn't work out. So <laughs> it's like, all right, we're either going to do this and try to appear gamble, gamble, but still with uh, a different, you know, significant amount of, uh, of skill involved. I like it. I like it. Uh, okay, next one. Rapid fire from Chica Bonita. Uh, do you have a poker idol, KL, after whom you model your game? And if so, who is it? And have you met this person? Um, so I have, I have poker people that I enjoy. Um, but to, this is going to sound super conceited. Um, but I try not to mimic anyone's game. Um, first of all, I think it's a really just, it's a good way to get stuck in a rut. And if you're not in poker, stagnation is equal to regression. Um, so you're either improving or you're not improving or you're, or you're going backwards. There is no like middle of the road, at least in my opinion. Um, you know, variants can, can hide it to some extent, but eventually if you're not trying to improve, you're going to get found out. And so I think that constantly doing things differently, questioning your assumptions, uh, questioning why you're doing things or why you think something should be done a certain way is really the only way to get better. But having said all that, obviously, you know, meeting legends of the game, or at least seeing them, like in the hallways, is always a thrill. Um, regardless of how many times you've, you know, passed them or yeah. or whatever it is, you know, you know, seeing, you know, seeing Daniel, even though we are somewhat communicative, but as you know, as busy as he is, you know, seeing him is still always exciting. It never um, gets old, <laughs> especially when he dies your action as you know. That's always fun. Um, uh, so that's, that's for you know, sure. That's always fun. Um, but you know, say, you know, I mentioned I got to play David Benjamin. You know, that was so much fun. He's just like an OG poker. Yeah. Super quiet, super understated. You know, um, being at 
the final table uh, when Lang was at the final table in the PPC, you know, and Jungle was there, you know, I mean, there's there's so many people there that were, you know, Ellie was there. Yeah, I mean, sure, of course. So it was, it was, you know, it was like, oh, look up. But I didn't holler at Ellie if I went to, hey, good luck. And I didn't, obviously. But I mean, yeah, that's, uh, that's exciting stuff. Good stuff. Um, about studying uh, Chica Bonita, I mean, obviously there's plenty of study that you do. Chica Bonita wants to know, do you also read poker books? And if so, uh, do you have any that you'd uh, recommend to anyone? Yeah, so if you're into that chance, that, that's how I do on these books. Um, okay. I, I'm generally not a book person. I much prefer video or coaching. Um, it's just how my brain works. I need to absorb it via seeing it and talking about it. Um, but, you know, there's all sorts of, of really good stuff out there. Um, GTO, I can't recommend uh, Modern Poker Theory enough. Yeah, Michael Acevedo's book. Yes, it looks like... Exactly. I mean, yeah, it looks like a textbook, and it can be intimidating. I fully understand that, Um, but it's worth it. If you're willing to put in the the effort and the time, you will have such a deeper understanding of the game. Uh, For a little bit more accessible from an ease of use, Andrew Brokos's... uh, GTO book is also very good. Um, you know, I'm friends with Michael. I'm friends with Andrew as well. Um, I'm good friends with both. So I want to make sure I mention both of them. Because <laughs> they're, they're both very good books. In fact, you know what? Buy them both. They're hey. both good. <laughs> um, I like it. Um, and then for okay. mindset stuff, oh, yeah. Yeah, I think it's important. Mindset stuff. Um, Planned Mind is honestly worth 10 times what they charge. It is so valuable. Um, I know that people are going to be like, oh, meditation, you know, that's not for me, that's voodoo. It really, I, I felt the same way. I swear to God, I did. I thought it was a bunch of baloney, but it does work. It evens you out. It, uh, Helps you understand the bigger picture a lot, uh, a lot better, and uh, it's it's a necessary thing that every serious poker player should invest in their mental game. So I, I, whether I will, it's with them or whoever, that's prime mind. And I will just use that opportunity. Obviously, a, a collaboration between Fedor the Wonderkind Holtz, who was episode forty, uh, and Elliot Rowe. Who, was episode 20. So we'll just get those last <laughs> last bit ones in there. And we got one more question from Chica Bonita, and then one more question asked her, and then we will wrap it up. Uh, folks, thanks so much for, for listening. I, this has just been one of the most uh, enjoyable, uh, lengthy, but also just eye-opening and fascinating, phenomenal journeys uh, of an episode. So thank you very much, uh, KL. Um, Chica Bonita, one more from her. Uh, what hobbies do you enjoy? I love this. Besides poker. Um, so, my content production background, I love film. Um, film is a, a big part of who I was growing up, producing it, um, you know, making 
uh, films and being involved in the productions of other people's films. So that's something that I, I really, really enjoy. I'm not like super snobbish about it. Like I don't get into like the you know French avant-garde art house stuff. Don't get me wrong. I mean, I, you know, not that snobbish, but I do think there you know there's some good stuff uh, everywhere you look. Um, and then you know I don't really I mentioned I don't really do books or poker, but I do love some good fantasy novels. Um, you know, uh, been reading Neil Goldman uh, lately, which, you know, obviously he has some of his stuff that's going into production on TV. Um, so I really love that. And I love, uh, I love me some political spy thrillers. Awesome. So I've been watching Homeland uh, recently. Uh, which, that's uh, a great it's one. Actually, it's actually inspired by originally an Israeli uh, show itself. Yes, so uh, I'm, I'm Raz, going, I believe, was the uh, producer of the original. Yeah, sure. And I'm actually going to, when I finish Homeland, I'm going to watch the original, uh, the Israeli show as well. There you go. So I'm very yeah. excited about that. Good. You just earned some extra points uh, with this interviewer, I will tell you. <laughs> Got to support uh, the homeland. That's where I live. Uh, last question, Asker. Uh, Acid Burn FX always asks the most creative, interesting, wonderful questions. That's a good uh, notes uh, to end off on here, Kale. Um, Acid Burn FX wants to know, what are you most grateful for? Hmm. It's really tough because I had a lot to be grateful about. Um, wow, that is a super good question. I feel like you just like Googled, how do I make tail speeches? Because <laughs> very rarely am I. If you'd um, like, we can give you a time bank on this one. Sorry, I, need to, uh, I need to use one of my uh, time extensions. Yeah. Um, I guess as I think about it, Everything that I'm grateful for stems back to my family being so dedicated to making sure that, like, my life is and has been as close to normal and full as possible. Um, you know, because there's been you know, a lot of sacrifices that had to have been made. Um, I didn't mention this at the beginning, but when we were talking about my diagnosis, I wasn't supposed to live past three. Um, and I'll be 33 this year. So that kind of is a testament to, you know, obviously my parents and my family, and I have a, a younger brother as well. Um, you know, everyone, you know, not to be dramatic, but Keeping me alive. I mean, you know, I mean, I'm not trying to over dramatize this, but you know, but more importantly, making things as kind of normal and like non, you know, other, if you will. And I was never other. I was just tail. One of you know, one of four in my family, and one of 200 and 
studied, you know, whatever in my high school class. And, you know, one of however many thousand that you buy, it was never, you know, this like over the top thing. So yeah, I didn't think that because that is what has kept me uh, grounded, um, you know, in the psychological sense. Um, uh, but, you know, kept me, kept me from, you know, kind of having this, you know, uh, this woe is me complex. Because right. that was never an option. You know, like, you're fine. Like, not you're fine. That's a bad way of putting it. This is fine. This right. will be fine. Right. Um, and what I always like to point out is, hey, the average lifespan is getting closer and closer to 100. Yeah. And if my average lifespan was supposed to be free, right. that means by multiplication, I'm about 1,100. Because, <laughs> yeah, 33... Three, a hundred. I mean, you know, I don't you're, know. You're big on that transitive property. I like it. Is I really am. Is I really <laughs> am. <laughs> Listen, cool. man, I do mental gymnastics because I can't do actual gymnastics. So, well, well, that does lead into the next question from uh, Acid Burn FX. What is the craziest thing that you have ever done, and would you do it again? Um. Wow, that's a really good question. I told you, they get, uh, she always asks the best one, Acid Burn FX. So, I think it, the problem is I'm kind of like risk averse mm-hmm. personally, but um, when I was, I mentioned earlier we did a road trip out west when I was young, and this isn't something that, like, I was part of it, but it was just like something cool that we did. And I had not, you know, basically best and we we're best friends. Like we're not like had that father son, you know, situation. It's you know, friend, you know, best friend situation more than anything. Anyway, I was really young and we went to we stopped at the Hoover Dam because when you're on our team doing a road trip out west You've sold the Hoover Dam. That's just a thing you do. Right. And uh, I was very small. We, we were, I was young. I was like six or seven, but I was physically very small. Um, and so you could pick me up and basically do whatever you wanted to with me. And uh, there is an overlook where you can look straight down and see, like, down into the dam. It's a really cool thing, but I couldn't see it because my wheelchair wouldn't go up high enough. So my dad picked me up and he hooked me out over the rail so I could see it. And I'm looking down. I didn't think anything of it. I was in my dad's arms. I was totally safe. I was totally safe. There was nothing that that he, he put me in a situation where I could experience something that yeah. nobody, you know, that everybody else was experiencing, but I couldn't because of my wheelchair. And it was like, well, that's bullshit here. Let's let you see it. Um, and my mom was freaking out. Yeah. Me. I was like, oh. Dad, get back over here. I don't know. You might see it. 
Um, uh-huh. But no, I mean that that was not that qualified as craziest. I will certainly <laughs> give you that. <laughs> and and to answer the question, I would absolutely do it again Whoa. because it was it was a beautiful sight. It was mm-hmm. it was a really cool uh, a really cool view. Not because it was you know mountains or anything like that, but just to see that humans had built this gargantuan massive thing that was holding back this you know force of nature mm-hmm. i mean that's mind-boggling yeah. to me you know that that humans had built this thing that had been flowing for that stopped something that had been flowing for you know millions of years mm-hmm. and they were just like eh, no we kind of want you to stop right here. And they just did it. Like, that's super cool. Well, we will end off with one final question. Um, and I, I, like, I like this question to end off, actually. Because um, you seem also just so content, so happy, so, so grateful for so much. So it's almost like kind of flip it. If, and this is, again, a question from Acidburn FX, if you could change one thing, not necessarily about yourself, but about the world. What would it be, KL? Oh, man, that's really good. So I guess it's cheating to say when every 70, 30. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, wishful thinking, but <laughs> it's, a, it's a bit aggressive, probably. Um, you know, I think the last, I'm, I'm not. I'm only 32, I'll be 33. I'm old enough to like remember a time before. Um, and the before is kind of before the unwritten rules became pointless, basically. You know, it used to be there were unwritten rules that you didn't do this or you didn't say that or, you know, you, you were a decent human being. Um, and I think that anonymity behind you know, social media accounts and distance, um, obviously, the pandemic has probably exacerbated it a little bit because of distance. But I feel like people have kind of forgotten that you know, there's unwritten rules of society um, around decency and acceptance and just like not being an asshole, if you will. Um, you know, to be blunt about it, I guess it would be kind of like making it to where those were actually things that people didn't just like remember exist, but actually remembered to adhere to them. Uh, you know, it, it, there's, there's, it doesn't seem like, here's a good way to put it, at least people experienced shame the way they used to. There isn't shame anymore. You know, there's no repercussions for saying something truly awful to someone because you can say it anonymously. You can say it behind a, an avatar and uh, you know, a screen name that isn't tied to you directly. Um, and so you don't feel shame for doing this objectively awful thing. And because of that, you become numb to it, and it becomes normal 
And like, oh, well, everybody does this. But everybody doesn't do that. Um, so I guess that would be only the one thing. You know, it's kind of deep and maybe a little bit deeper than was intended. Um, but, you know, I, I don't mean it in a negative way like everyone should feel sane. I mean, people should have a conscience about the things that they do, I guess is the best way to put it. You know, you say about going deep and, you know, part of me is like, okay, well, I've got a, a function now as a host to just, you know, tie things up. But I got to tell you, KL, you know, when, when we sign off this call, I guarantee you that that answer that you gave, as good as the question was, the answer was just phenomenal. And I, that's certainly something I will be thinking of and definitely an amazing note on which to end this episode. I want to thank everyone who sent in questions for KL Cleeton. And again, just a friendly reminder to all of you out there in the Cards Chat community. We would love to see you submit your questions for our future podcast guests in the dedicated thread on the forums. And folks, if you like the show, please be sure to give us a good review on iTunes and spread the words via your social media channels. KL, before we let you go, is there anything else you'd like to share with the Cards Chat community? Uh, no, I'm just, I'm a really big fan of the community in general, Ryan, has told me so much. I definitely a few of the uh, cards chat uh, folks when I was out there in, in October and November. Everyone is just so amazing, so welcoming. Uh, you guys have an amazing community that you built. Uh, your social media is always on point and, and amazing. And I certainly appreciate that being a uh, the social media snob myself. So uh, congratulations on that. And thank you for having me on and uh, letting me blather on uh, for such a long time. I hope that uh, other folks out there are staying safe, healthy, and I hope I get to see you all in June and July. Be amazing. And uh, you know, you say you're 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 talking a lot on social media. You can follow you at yeah, high hands eighty nine H I G H A N I'm sorry, H I G H H A N D S. So high hands eight nine uh, on Twitter. And that's my name one. I have an Instagram, but I honestly don't know how to use it. And uh, <laughs> I don't either. I don't do Instagram. So. <laughs> You're Facebook anyway, right? Um, but uh, no, hit me up. I'm always happy to answer questions or talk about poker or, you know, anything. Hit me awesome. Up. awesome. And uh, again, KL, this has just been a phenomenal journey that uh, I got to say I've really, really, really enjoyed. Thank you so much. And, and thank you all for tuning in once again to another episode of Cards Chat. I'm Robbie Straczynski. You can follow me on Twitter at Card Player Life, and I wish you all a wonderful day. Cards Chat, the friendliest poker podcast in town from the world's number one poker community.